Hello, welcome back to Veteran State of Mind. My name is Garen Jones. You all know me by now. We've done a few episodes together. Uh, and uh, I've got another Jones in. Got another Jones into the studio today. My friend Sean Jones connected over social media a few months ago. Um, trying to think how. I was probably just stalking through looking for some uh, sexy young men in uniform. Stumbled across this guy. And um, we started talking. Sean's interested, in, uh, Sean's interested in writing. He's got some... Fucking interesting stories to tell. That's why he's here. And um, we had to had some in common as well. His uh, dad was actually in in um, in my battalion. It's kind of funny. You were the first guest on that I can say I beasted your, your dad on PT when I <laughs> when I was a PT. I put your dad put your dad through some press ups and and all that kind of all that kind of stuff in the days where I wore the pest vest. So Sean, welcome to Veteran State of Mind, mate. Great to have you. Good to be here, mate. It's good to meet you. Let's just carry the chat on what we were just having at the back, because I think we've got some interesting things to say, at least to each other. Maybe, <laughs> maybe everyone else will disagree. But, yeah. Um, you know, we were, we were saying that um, both of us are very lucky in a position where we get people approaching us, asking our opinions on things. Um, personally, I'm more than happy to give my opinion on stuff. And um, I think, no, seriously, that we are in a privileged position because there's a lot of youngsters especially kind of looking to older heads, um, especially lads that have done tours. I know you did three tours of Afghanistan. We'll come back and talk about those in in a in a in a bit. But the uh, the women in the military, or rather, should I say, not women in the military? Um, my apologies. Women in combat roles, as in specific combat arms. Um, and I think it's important to make a distinction between a combat role and a combat arm because a there's there's plenty of women who have been serving in combat roles. You know, they've been. Drivers on logistics convoys that could get ID. They've been medics in patrols or forward observations officers in patrols, which regularly get contacts and stuff on tour. So they have been in combat. Um, in combat, but it's now that they're going to be able to join units, which your express and sole job really is to close with and you know destroy the enemy. What's your feelings on it, mate? Let's lay it out there for people. I think we're going to surprise people with our our opinions. So let's go. So I think that um, I think for me, it's if if a, if a female or male or whatever they say they are can complete the the tests, and there's no change in the standard of tests, then that's the first point. You know, if they can do that and achieve that, okay, then we can start to look at you know them coming to specific roles. But as we alluded, as we chatted to a little bit about before, is that how does that then affect? the sort of team cohesion when you're in a austere location, you're on your own for six months and you've got a female there that is arguably going to be in a minority and you're going to have another 30, 40, 50, depending on the size of the location, blokes around. How are they going to react then to the female? Is that then going to cause problems within the dynamic of the team? I think that there's an important question an important thing that I don't think has been talked about an awful lot as a team dynamic. Yeah, I mean, because let's be honest, it's a very hot button topic. To no one's no one's going to stand up in the debate um, in the Houses of Parliament or in the MOD or whatever and go, uh, yeah, uh, what about the fact that most of the blokes are going to want to try and fuck this girl? Like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, it's no one's going to stand up and say that because no, right, yeah. they're going to say this girl. And hey, caveat on this, they are going to rightly say that this girl is not a piece of meat. She's not there for that. Absolutely, we totally agree with that. Please try telling the penis of an 18-year-old lad that that is not what she's there for. You know, we are strategically shaved chimpanzees that you stick a bit of fucking body armor on, uh, and that is, your, that is the 
Yeah, that, that that's what's going on. And if you've spent time in with groups of young lads, it's fucking load of the flies. Like yeah. it's the 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 knock on effect that it has. This thing of putting a bunch of young lads together, they might behave very well, um, very respectfully on their own. But they start, you start getting them together in the group, and you'll start. You see the chest beating, don't you? You yep. see, like, the, the lads start to do stupid fucking things to start yeah. to show that I'm the big dog, mate with me, yeah. kind of thing. And like, is it right? Should we try and be progressing? Absolutely, but there's going to be a big fucking transition period. It is. It's. I think something that hasn't been sort of again discussed is it, it's maturity levels of. Of the, bloke, Mate, of the blokes totally. or the people you're dealing with, not necessarily the blokes as well, but, you know, maturity levels just in society are different. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you were, it's the armed forces, the military, whether it's, you know, a normal day-to-day job. If you've got a load of 18-year-old lads, 19-year-old lads, you know, and then a, a female comes into that context, the same sorts of things are going to be happening, except they haven't got the added pressure of, you know, they're out doing alpha male stuff every single day whilst whilst they're doing that's their great, jobs. That's a great point, mate. Like, that's that's the thing. You're asking people to behave as alpha males and stuff, you know, like that. You're asking them to tap in. Because like, let's be honest, right? If you are not bursting with testosterone, you're not going to be able to successfully perform the tasks of an infantry soldier. Mm-hmm. If you are, um, If you are somebody who thinks rather than acts like a lot of the time you're not going to make a good soldier what the infantry needs is blokes who just go oh oh yeah those th- those little buzzing sounds i can hear around my head yeah if one of those hits me i'm dead you know what would be a good idea <laughs> i'll stand up i'll stand up and like run across this open ground if you are somebody who goes well you know what really you know when it comes to what we break it down to is this and this is a con- construct of society and stuff you're never going to get up you get a pin down and then the enemy going to flank you and you're all going to die. So it's, we got, um, I'm a big fan of Jocko Willing's podcast and he uses the word dichotomy yeah. a lot. And this is the dichotomy because you're asking people to behave like testosterone filled adolescent fucking, I'm not going to say idiots because I don't think either of us would consider ourselves or our comrades idiots, but you put common sense in the back pocket or the top left, probably goes in the, <laughs> probably goes in the top left. Common sense goes in the top left to, to be taken back out at the end of tour. Um, and you go on instinct. And re- whether you want to hear it or not, the instinct of a young lad is to procreate. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they're going to start putting their hands where they shouldn't be putting their hands, except when they're in the Sangas, which they'll definitely do. <laughs> but um, it, it does mean that there will be this fucking pent-up force, which is the, one of the strongest forces in the universe as... Doctor, uh, what's his name? Doctor Goldblum on uh, Jeff, no, not Jeff. <laughs> Doctor, whoever Jeff Goldblum plays on Jurassic Park, he says life finds a way, and a squaddy will find a way of trying to have sex with someone who is of the opposite sex. Um, I don't. Uh, some people would say, "Oh, well, it's it's not been a massive pro- problem with homosexuality." Well, even though we have had, I I know for a fact I've served with some homosexual lads, and it was it was never an issue. I think that's because they were in the minority, and therefore it wasn't something that kind of. You know, it's all it's going to take is two lads in the platoon to be aggressively after the same person. By aggressively, I don't mean towards her. I mean with each other. Yeah. And that then makes you got to pick sides then. Human nature is you have to pick a side. And it affects the team dynamic, which in 
the scenarios that you w- were placed in when stresses are like Absolutely, that. Absolutely, mate. So what General Garen Jones has floated, <laughs> General <laughs> General Lance Corporal Garen Jones <laughs> has floated the idea of an all-female unit because I do believe there's women out there who can do the job better than a lot of infantry soldiers. Um, and we were both saying, mate, like, how, is there that many women going to come forward for these roles, do you think? I don't think there is. I know we've opened it up and, and it's a big talking point, but realistically... You know, I, there's not many, you know, women that, that that I know that would actively go. Oh, I, I want to be in the infantry. They 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 like the roles that you know that, that they're in. You know, there is going to be a few, and you know, there is that you know thing I've said in the past. You know, if someone can pass the test, then does it matter about you know, you know, what, whatever sexual orientation you are? And in one one aspect, I, I stand by that. But you know, on the other side of things, like we just discussed. How does that affect the team dynamic? So I don't think there's going to be a floodgates of, of women trying to join. Yeah, and I think one thing that I've said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it, so if you're sick of it, tough shit. I'm going to keep saying this. Life isn't fucking fair. Uh, war is especially not fair. The army is there to fight wars. So if um, if what you're fighting is not fair, then why should we expect that the force that's built to fight it should be fair too? Um, yeah, okay, there might be, I'm going to take an extreme example here, um, and I'm just going to let you guys at home answer this one. What if there's somebody who's a paraplegic who wants to be a soldier? Now, this is an extreme example, and I'm not comparing women to paraplegic. So please fucking calm down if this is winding you up. In fact, if it's winding you up, probably best to leave now. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, like if, if it's a paraplegic who wants to be a soldier, it's not fair that he doesn't get to be. It's not fair that life has robbed him of that 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 role. But for the good of the uh, for the for the fighting force at large, that person doesn't get to live their dream. I'm pretty sure when I'm 50, I'm still going to want to go back on tour. Am I going to be allowed to go? No, my knees are fucked already. I'm 35. I would be a liability. <laughs> Is that fair? No. But that's that's just the that's the fucking army. That's that's life. Is it fair that some women who would be absolutely amazing infantry soldiers have been denied the chance to do it for the last? however many fucking years. No, it's not fair. But the war's not fair. It's not fair that young lads die. It's not fair that young lads get injured. It's not fair that young girls die and young lads get injured. It's not the, we're not, It's not a business of being fair. And to try and put onto it the same standards as we have in civilian life, you know, it's you're. It's not a civil place. It's not a, it's not a nice place. It's the most, it's the closest that we get to living in the animal kingdom, basically, where it's like big troops of fucking big troops of chimpanzees going against each other but instead of throwing rocks and using sticks and tearing each other apart with our bare hands we're doing it with weapons but don't kid yourself that there's anything not that go go and watch a bit of David Attenborough and get back to me on this one but no I mean I think I I just think that the I, I really like the idea of having an all because here's the thing as well right if I like if I was a fucking girl and I go into an all all female platoon holy fuck is that going to be a motivated platoon they'll yeah. win everything you put them on exercise Cambrian patrol, put them on, put them on any, any, any competition, anything. They'll be fucking dominating because they are going to be so fucking motivated that they'll absolutely like, they'll, they'll trounce the competition. Well, it is, isn't it? You know, if you, a lot of the time, I mean, from just, and this is my point of view, you know, driven women that are driven, you know, constantly driven. I'm not saying that all women aren't driven, but you see them just go after roles and responsibilities yeah. constantly and they do fantastic jobs Dude, honestly, that, that platoon, that platoon, if you were a brigadier and you had that platoon or company or whatever, 
that was part of your or that was part of your um, orbit when you and so orbit is like your structure when you are out on uh, out on deployment. You would be like cherry picking them for yeah. a lot of stuff because you know that they would be. They all want to be there. They all want to get stuck in. Because let's be honest, mate. We've both served in infantry platoons. Some of you listening, some of you, I'm going to be breaking onto the camera right now. Some of you listening who have never done an infantry role are the ones who are the most vocal opposition to this. Um, I'm wondering if there's maybe a little bit of insecurity there that you wish you'd gone in the infantry, but you didn't, did you? You didn't go in the infantry. You were in the balloon corps or something like that. No, I want to joke, guys. But but seriously, like a lot of the opposition I hear for this, like the real, like here's one thing, right? Like you and I have, I think we have an opinion on this based on experience. We've both done three tours each with infantry, um, and we both want to find a way to make it work because we do think that there's some fucking absolute, there's absolute warriors out there um, who you know who are female, and they should we should try and utilize the best people that we have for the job, but we should also be able to have a realistic adult. Well, I'm not saying I'm adult, but <laughs> a realistic conversation where we look at the things that um, I don't think are very comfortable for some people to talk about. Like, you know, hey, would it be great if at a stroke of a pen everybody behaved in this certain way and stuff? Yeah, it would. But let's be fucking realistic about this, shall we? Right. Moving on then, mate. You're wearing a Christmas sweater. Yeah. It's November. Well, it's, it's No, it's last... November. It is November. <laughs> November. I'll give you that one. It, you know, it was... Uh... Listen, two young kids, you know, Christmas, you know, 1st of December tomorrow. You know, How old are uh, One's 10 and one's six. So did you have kids when you were on tour? Hang on, let me do some quick maths. You would have had kids when you were on tour then? Yes. How was that? Both times. Um, Pretty shit. <laughs> so, well, first time was difficult. Um, that was uh, Herrick 8, that was. And um, oh, Herrick 8 and 9. It was difficult because I, I was there for the birth, but then 10 days later, I sort of flew out. Um, the second one, he was born the eleventh of sorry the fifth of November, and uh, I was didn't come home until Christmas Eve. Nice. So you know he was what, best part of six weeks old at that point. So it was difficult, and you know I think a, a lot doesn't get said for for um, you know the wives of, of troops, uh, and, and that's not bringing in wives. Are equal, you know. I know there's a lot of stuff going on around at the moment with the yeah, old wife stuff. But. Yeah, come on, let's let's be honest, about this. We do want to though. If you're listening and you are the wife or the mother of a soldier, <laughs> and you would like to come on the podcast, please get in touch because I do want to do an episode, um, a, an episode about that kind of thing. So please get in touch if that's some if you fall into that category. But no, it's it's just it's it's an interesting it's an interest. They're interesting conversations, I think, because um, yes, they they are not soldiers. They do not carry the rank of the husband whatsoever. But um, they do do an awful lot to support you. Yeah. So what Sean's kind of alluding to is um, there's always been this kind of thing with, and this is not all military wives by by any um, by any stretch of the imagination. But there's always been some who you could you might go to your local Tesco or something like that by camp, and you let's say you're in uniform or you're an obviously you're obviously a young lad. You're obviously a junior rank. She might be the wife of the sergeant major. Well, fuck me. Like <laughs> she you know, you you might as well at that point, if if you so much as look or if you so much as have the audacity to stand in front of her at a line or something like that, you will get chewed out as if you were getting like talking to Sergeant Major himself. Um I've and one of the classics is you're on guard duty at the camp, a sergeant major or somebody equivalent's wife will come to the gate 
and you'll say that you know you'll be very respectful and you'll say that they need the appropriate ID. I have fucking such and such sergeant major's wife. You will let me on this fucking base, and you'll be like, like sorry, I can't. And this is the worst. This is the worst part, right? It's not their behavior then. It's then that the sergeant major will will fuck you over quite yeah. a lot of times. You will get fucked over for it because you didn't let someone with ID, without ID come on the base, which seems like pretty good fucking things to not you know to not do. Um, and there's this, yeah, there's this weird dynamic, and it's very true in the states too. I know, like my friends in the Marine Corps, yeah, they say exactly the same. I imagine it's the same if you're Guatemalan special forces or whatever. <laughs> it's it's this, it's the same thing out there that. Um, and like we're saying, it's not 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 everybody, but there's, yeah. it's definitely a universal thing that people will uh, kind of attach themselves to power. But I think that's kind of like, you know, how um, like when it's like, there's not many of us around in this in in there's not many of us around in this country anymore that actually fought in the Second World War or anything like that. But it'd still be, oh, I went on my holidays to Germany. Charge me five pound for a pint. I'm thinking, if it weren't for us, you wouldn't. You know, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? It's like you break. You weren't even fucking born for another thirty years. Yeah, like it's it's that kind of thing. It's attaching yourself to a priv- It's attaching yourself to. I should have a privilege for this because I have this tenuous link to somebody else. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> like, no, I mean, you're not. You're not. You're not wrong. You know, and and it is uh, frustrating. I've had that exact example. Someone said they deserve to be on camp because of their husband, and I was like. You haven't got an ID card. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's just it's 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 a daft one. But we see that now. As far as it goes for the Montour, though, I think it's 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 not the right it's not right to say that they have the same experience, but they do have a traumatic experience. Like one hundred percent, it's a very different one to what we have. What's your kind of thoughts on that? What with regards to with, with regards to you know the daily stress that a wife or a mother yeah. or someone like that will go through. I think they go through. Yeah, you know, they. they Life continues for them and we go away, but their life continues in terms of they then pick up everything that you may have been doing. They're doing that as well. And if you haven't left things in good order, you know, in terms of financially and stuff like that, they then pick up those added stresses. And a lot of the time, in fact, all the time, you know, me specifically, my missus never gave me any stress when I was away. That's awesome. Never. And But you see the difference that, stresses with the wife at home causes on people on tour. Yeah, massively. And you don't need that. Um, so, you know, she picked up a lot of slack. So, you know, in terms of being traumatic, probably maybe a strong word for him. Um, but, you know... I think it depends on the constitution it, yeah, of the person, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, when you, you know, I said when you start bringing pregnancies into I think it's a completely different kettle of fish and, you know... Um, things can go go wrong at that point but you know that's, an, that's another complete different topic of discussion yeah. it could well, take I, us for I, hours I think, <laughs> what, I think what the the main thing for me is I've realised from it is that when you were on tour there's not stuff isn't happening most of the time most of the time you are sat around complaining <laughs> or sat around um, sat around counting the days until you go home or it's, it's not contacts and stuff all the time now for a family member they don't know that you're sitting around with your mates, you know, discussing who's got the best boobs in the world or, <laughs> you know, would you rather lose your toes or your fingers or something like that. They don't know yeah. that stuff's going on. They think that it's kind of like if you picture the movie Zulu and the Zulus are coming up over the wall and the lads are fighting to the last round, they think that that's what you're doing almost every second of the tour, right? So there's a, a constant... I was I compare it to... Um, I compare it to relationships and and stuff like that. So some people relationships, they're okay with not seeing a partner for a few months and stuff like that. They're fine with it. But some other people, 
if they don't see their partner, it's, it's a constant thing of thinking, oh, who are they with and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that usually is informed by what is that person's experience in life up to that point. So if you've had some bad shit happen in your life, you've lost maybe like a partner's lost their parents or they've had like a, a, a death in the family at a young age or something like that, or they know someone else that's been killed in combat, that will make things more stressful. Whereas for some people, there's like a almost kind of like a blissful awareness. Um, I do think there's a lot to be said for lying if you're the soldier. So if you are the soldier, probably best to say, oh, what, what are you doing when you go out there? Oh, I'm just going to be at Camp Bastion. Um, I'm going to be at Camp Bastion with the RAF regiment. I mean, so <laughs> we had to put at least one dig in there. Love you, RAF regiment, really. Keeping the naffy safe, we need the naffy. Um, no, but it's, um, it, 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 I think, I wish I'd made more of an effort to say, oh, I'm not doing anything dangerous. But instead, being the young guy, I'm like, I'm going to try and do the most dangerous stuff that I can. <laughs> and because because it's like yeah. you want to like you again, you're not. This isn't like now. I hold you now, mate. Thirty one. Thirty one. Young man. Young man with a fine beard. I'm thirty five. <laughs> my beard's a bit smaller, but you know, I can judge and do those things. But um, now that is, you know, I look back and go, oh, that was the move to make. Yeah. But at the time. Not thinking like that, because like I know what twenty three year old me would have said. Well, they're not the ones out there, so yeah. what the fuck? They could just shut up. Yeah, you know what I mean, I think for me, you know, I, I never. Um, I think my family always knew what I was getting up to, or you know, what infantry units do. Yeah. Well, so, your dad is obviously yeah. your, so, so just so to fill fill people just to segue a little bit, fill people in on. Because you, you had a very different upbringing to your average soldier, because you were yeah. basically in the army from the moment you. Yeah. So he's my he's my stepdad. Right. So, okay. but you know he's he brought me up for my entire life pretty much. Um, so yeah, he was in uh, RRW, First Battalion Royal Regiment of Wales, and then they amalgamated and become the Royal Welsh. Um, so my sort of entire childhood, from about the age of five or six, I, I sort of moved around. Um, with him into different postings and stuff like that. So I grew up around the army context and the army model and, you know, the army, you know, we, we talk about our experiences of Iraq and Afghanistan and things like that. However, you know, before that, you know, you had, you know, Kosovo, the Bosnias and Northern Ireland. So there was a, this constant sort of time where he would be away, you know. Um, so for me growing up, that was normal. So me then coming into the army context myself when I was what, 16 and five months or whatever it is, I was used to not the army because you're not you weren't in the army, but I was used to knowing that there will be periods of where I'll be away. So I found it easier yeah. to leave people behind. So I think um, it, it surprised me. So I am the only soldier that a lot of my friends know, right? Obviously, so you know families and do, like soldiers and things yeah. like that. Um, there's some there's some parts of the country disproportionately can contribute to the amount of soldiers. Different economic classes, definitely, because most most soldiers will come come from working class kind of backgrounds and stuff. Um, you know, which is part of the reason I don't make because I'm you know firmly kind of like a middle class background and stuff. And that's why when I went to uni, most people didn't have a connection to a soldier, yeah, um, unless it was an officer, maybe sometimes an officer, but mostly they don't they don't. And there's there's some parts in the country you just don't get soldiers and stuff going from so so for some people joining when they get through the gate at the, to go to training is like the first time they've ever been in and around soldiers what is your what is your thoughts you're saying 16 years and five months right yeah that is a baby you know yeah that is a baby what is your thoughts on the ethics of taking in people at that age to an organization when which when you boil down it when you boil it down to it 
is there to kill people. Yeah. yeah. It's a tough one. And, and, and I've had, that's why I'm asking it. it, it is, <laughs> that, it's such a, and it's a, it's a tough topic. And it is at the moment as well, because we do have a, a young entrance way as well. You know, they go to the army foundation college and they complete training and all that sort of stuff, which is the way that, you know, at the moment, if a 16 year old is joining the army, it's the way, it, the only way they should be able to, but actually you can join and go the adult route, which is what I did at 16 and five months. I went the adult route, did basic training phase two. And I was, I was, you know, out in the, the real army before I was 18. Yeah. Whereas, whereas actually, um, is, is that the right thing for me? Do I look back on it now and go, mm, I probably wish I'd have stayed in school for a bit longer. Uh, definitely. Um, but it's, it's a really tough, tough topic that, that really, you know, obviously you don't deploy anywhere till you're 18. Yeah. But, I think the, the question is, and the argument is, is, you know, are, are you, should you be in the army in training, learning the concept of warfare mm. at 16 years old? Uh, yeah. And so this is always, because one of the things I think about the army, and this is, I'm not the first person to say this, the army is never Neverland. So you don't really grow up in the army. <laughs> you grow up in certain ways, but like, it's not normal behavior for a 28 year old to be running around the corridor with his dick between his legs going like, woo, look at me. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm a lady. and then, yeah, yeah. And then going, running in the shower and pissing on your mate. That's not really what most people in the twenties are doing. So I, I have this feeling that if you join at 16, very immature, you're probably going to be at that level of 16 year old maturity when it comes out. Now on a serious note, what does that have, what does that effect have on you when it's come to, managing money you know when it's come to like being a upstanding independent citizen because you've never had to learn any of those things whereas if you went in a bit later you would um let's say you were let's say the age was 21 right let's push it right up right so basically because one of the things I, I think here and i've been in this exact same position when you're 16 years old someone says to you you gotta wait until you're 21 to join you go fucking hell i'll be old man i'll be dead by then like that is, I'm not waiting that old. I want to be in the army when I am a young man, not when I am grey and all stuff like that. And the other thing is, like when, like I said this on one of the other podcasts, when Iraq was happening in 2006, I was like, if I don't get out there now, I'm never going to go to Iraq. <laughs> well, it's 2018. You're a while, mate. <laughs> 2018, things are still going strong. Yeah. Um. So I totally understand that. So I think if you put the age up higher, and kids don't, and kids don't, and so for people, some of the young ones listening, oh, not a kid. You are a kid. You are. You are yeah. a kid, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you are a kid. I was a kid. He was a kid. And when you're 35 and you have a podcast, you'll be going, oh, not a podcast. I don't know. It's probably get, getting di- beamed direct into your head as you're on the toilet <laughs> or something. But you'll you'll go, oh, my God, I was a fucking kid. It's just the way of the world. Um, So I, I think that if you said you can't join until 21, well, people might go, well, what can I do then? Maybe I should get an education. Maybe I should go and work for a few years. Because an education doesn't have to be a formal education with a piece of certificate. An education could be, um, you know, you could do an apprenticeship. You could learn a trade. Uh, Your education could be understudying at someone in a business for five years. So that when you leave the army, you already have an understanding of business. And more importantly, you have an understanding about responsibility and money and things like that. Now, do you learn responsibility in the army? Yeah, you learn certain kinds of responsibility. What about financial responsibility? Don't really learn financial responsibility because every month you can piss away all of your wage. You will still have a roof over your head. You will still have food in your belly. You know, you might end up selling your PlayStation at the end of the month or at the beginning of the month and all this kind of stuff to one of the other lads um, who's, who 
does have a bit of real life experience, yeah. but you will be okay. And that's not that's not going to fly when you get out. It's it's a fine balance to try and achieve achieve that because obviously I know you've just sort of plugged that number sort of that age um, just as we were chatting. But if you move the age too much, do you then? lose the complete ability to be able to recruit someone to the exactly. armed forces. Exactly, mate. I mean, you look at you look at people like... Um, I see people like the Royal Marines as, mm. as two different... Uh, Royal Marines and, and, the, and the Army, So, for example, are two different types of person. Although our training would, is would, very would, simple. Would, yeah, I would agree with you, mate. Totally the Royal, they are a lot more switched on because yeah. a lot of them, for the, for the bigger part, they're, they're a little bit older than your average... Yeah, they, come, they come in older. A lot of those lads you know, are looking for a life challenge, aren't they? they yeah. They've gone into life. They worked into the twenties. Yeah. They've gone. Well, maybe there's more to this. I need a challenge or something like that. And then they end up in the Marines. Yeah. And I'm totally with you, mate. I think that you know that that brings up the maturity level, and that means that they can be treated more maturely, yeah. which means that they are. You end up with a lot of very switched on blokes. I've I've had the I've been fortunate to be able to work with with some of the Royal Marines, um, and you know they. They just approach things differently. A very calm attitude. They know that every single man and jack there, you know, there's no question of fitness, integrity, anything like. I'm not saying that that is questionable within the rest of the army. It's not. It is in, but in, ca- in certain but cases. It can be. It, so, yeah. it can be. And with the Royal Marines, it's just this very, very professional outlook on them. And I think it does come with one how they're treated um, throughout their training process, but two, they, they are they are quite. When they do their selection process, it's it's very selective and yeah. and and it and it works. And here's the here's the only the, the the problem with that though is that because I mean I totally agree with everything you're saying. The reason a lot of these guys go from the Marines is because it is seen as an elite. Yeah. And now some people will say, oh, they don't do anything differently on tour than what um, an infantry battalion does. And I think there's truth in that for sure. However, agree. you cannot disagree with the fact that the training is the, I think is the longest basic. Training in the world, isn't it? Very yeah, I believe so, yeah. Um, and the tests on it are fucking hard tests. They are harder than anything you will come across in the infantry. Um, and that challenge is what draws a lot of these more mature guys. Yeah. I think if you had that for the regular infantry battalions, a lot of people wouldn't go for it because it, it wouldn't. they wouldn't see it as same, so much of a challenge. Um, the other thing, the, the problem as well is, again, and which is the same as we were talking about females into, you know, combat rules and stuff is... We have to be realistic about this. And we live in a state where um, you, you're you not going to be left on the street to starve most for the most part. Um, and if you are in your 20s or whatever like that and you're getting enough money to come in, are you then going to want to go and join a unit where you're going to be piss wet through, maybe die? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so that, there's that. The other hand. So I think from a country's point of view, you need to get people in young. And here's yeah. the other thing as well is that is the age. Where, so I think it's like something like the frontal cortex part of your brain, which is the part that understands real kind of consequences and decision-making all stuff like that. I don't think that gets fully formed until you're in your mid-20s. Um, so look at the biggest dickheads driving that you know. Look at the biggest idiots. Like I think most of them, you, most people, you agree. You stop trying to jump off roofs when you when you start getting into your early twenties. <laughs> you stop trying to overtake people on hairpin blind bends at yeah. seventy mile an hour. You know, and why are you doing those things? Well, one of the reasons you don't understand consequences. Um, one of them is one of the reasons you're doing it is for a buzz. You know, young people do tend to want a buzz. But I think the thing is to understand is that 
It's not that you don't want to buzz as you get older in life. You just realize that for ev- if there's a buzz, there's, there's a risk and reward with everything. So the, the, the reward of that buzz comes at a risk of, so like, I'd love to still have the buzz of overtaking people on hairpin bends. <laughs> But I've, I've unfortunately I've lost friends in, um, you know, I've lost friends in traffic accidents. I, I've seen traffic accidents, and I do not want to be that mess in in the you know in the car that, and then someone has to go and give my mum and dad a knock on the door and say that he's not coming home because he overtook on a fucking blind bend. So it would be it's very hard I think to convince people to become, you know, the what you need out of an infantry soldier, which is. Not blind obedience, because you should be able to think for yourself at some point. But if your sergeant says, right, you four lads, run across that open ground that you can see getting chewed up apart by rounds at the moment, and uh, there's some bad guys in there, go in and shoot them in the face. You if you, you might, by that point, have gone, no, nah, this just seems a bit silly, this. I think we're going to stay here, mate. <laughs> like, and that's not going to work. So operationally, the, you know, the country might suffer because of that. Um, and the, the the other thing as well is I will say that if you do not get into the fitness of combat, so there's a big difference. Um, people listening will be nodding away right now if they've served in, in, in the forces, right? There's a big difference between combat fitness and fitness, right? So I don't care how long you can run for on a treadmill or how many bicep curls you can bang out. Well, I can do over a thousand, just so you know. Um, I don't care about that. That is going to be a totally different experience to having helmet, body armor, or your kit on, and you're picking up a bloke on a poncho to do a casualty evacuation, and you've been, you've just been awake for two days. That is a totally different kind of fitness. Um, and I was joking earlier about my knees being fucked at 35. It's actually not a joke. Please send more knees. I need, <laughs> please send more knees, and if I can have shoulders and you back, I'd like those too. Um, it's arms th- and a chest as well, by the looks of it. Oh, mate, there's, there's video evidence of this, so you can see that he's lying. Well, actually, maybe you're right, mate. I do need to do a bit more. Top's a bit too baggy. If you want to send me some free t-shirts, extra medium, please. Um, no, your body, t- your body can take a fucking battering when you're young, man. Like, yeah. how, how do you remember doing any stretching or anything like that when you're younger? No, and I remember some. Awful, awful trainers that we used to be given as well. Oh, yeah. When we first joined up, you know, that was, they were terrible, but. The boots, mate. What, when, when did you join up? 2003. Right, 2003. So, right now, all you youngsters, uh, you youngsters, going on Instagram and seeing all these guys with all the alley kit and stuff like that, there's a reason that you don't see photos from. Two, early 2000s and stuff and it's not because people didn't have cameras it's because there's no fucking Gucci kit to show off nah. like we, we, when I joined up I joined in 2000 we still had the lightweights and stuff the green yeah, like yeah, green canvas that. bottoms and stuff like that it looked like something out of sharp it was fucking mad <laughs> like it's not like all this all singing all dancing different yeah. kind of camera stuff now the boots were just a thin little thing of leather boots Can't there was board. nothing Gucci you had to go out and buy all your own Gucci kit yeah. and then you, you weren't allowed to wear it most of the time. Yeah. And fucking the Insurance. radio, first radio that I had was like kind of fucking one of those masts that you have like a, a mast for mobile signal now on your back. Now, little radio, so you don't know you're born, you lot. That's <laughs> I tell you. No, but seriously, like that has been a, a, a big difference and they were not ergonomically made for like looking after your heels or anything like that. They were made probably because it was cheap as fuck and they found a bunch of leftover leather somewhere in a warehouse. Um, but when you're younger, you can get away with being in clip. Your, yeah. your body heals. You can do something. You can go and do something like Cambrian Patrol, and two days later, 
like, all right, you you you've you've worn away. There's no skin left on the inside of your legs, and your your hoop is absolutely rubbed to fuck. It's like you've been gang raped by a bunch of baboons. But apart from that, it takes be all right in a it takes days. a bit of a mindset as well. I think mindset, mate. Yeah, mindset's huge in in the military, and you can. <laughs> it's that thing in it now we're sort of comparing generations so to speak because there has been a generation change during definitely during my time in, yeah. in the military. And we're not saying that we were on Iwo Jima or anything no, like no, that <laughs> not, not at all um, but it, it's that mindset thing of things just you get on with things you know you just if your feet are in clip you you suck it up you, you, you tape them up and you keep going if your back's hurting alright what can I do you know you speak to your mate mate give me out of this, you know, can you take this? So it's, it's just that mutual support and, and just a different mindset. And you'll get the guys now that still complete training, but once they get through the door, they haven't completed all the tests. Fitness wise. Me- that is mental. Um, now I know the army is going through, or the military is going through a big, big change of how they approach fitness and stuff like that. And I'm not an expert currently now on what those fitness tests are and will be, but you know, the, the robustness and and the mindset of guys, of a, of a minority of people that come through now is just completely different to what it what it was historically. You used to get, you know, maybe one buffoon come through, you know, and you'd get a group of really good blokes, robust, you know, throw the kit on, you know, yes, corporal, no corporal, yes, sergeant, you know. Whereas now you'll get maybe some almost roles reversed, you know. You've got this different different individual coming through this different generation of person that's like well hang on a second and so I'd, I'd like to bring up here the big myth the army bollocks thing of we are not struggling to recruit people we're not struggling for numbers absolute bollocks because if you if it weren't why would we push why would you be passing through lads that hadn't pissed past all the time notice how i say lads here as well so again people that think that oh, just because you're born with a dick you can do all the stuff in the infantry not fucking true um yeah, what, like, why would we be passing these blokes unless we were desperate for numbers? I mean, I definitely saw a difference in, you know, arguably I had a busier last three, four years of my career than what I did when we were on operations. And why was that? In my opinion, less amount of troops, more amount of jobs. Right. Simple as the work, The work didn't change. You still had the same things you had to achieve, same training objectives you had to achieve, but you also had other jobs that were coming in, you know, to go and support this exercise or go and train this country's, you know, right. uh, armed forces, you know, liaison pieces. So you had all this coming in, but the manpower was just hectic. And I used to look at like people like the ops officer who would be the most hated man within the battalion because it's like five days before you go on leave, all right, we need to send 20 blokes here. Yeah, I mean, and just the... Just to secure all the facilities and stuff with the guard force and stuff takes up a lot of manpower to begin with. There's just literally there'd be times where I remember having my um, when I was a platoon sergeant. We had a we tried to get a platoon photo. One of the most impossible things to get done on every exercise. You you used used to try and get a platoon photo on on a major exercise, wouldn't you? And I remember having a platoon photo myself, platoon commander. And must have been about seven blokes, you know. So there was there was maybe ten of us in this photo. Platoon's supposed to be in the vicinity of thirty blokes there thereabouts, you know, give or take, you know. And, and but because the blokes were just on all sorts of different taskings, 
Um, and it, it didn't change the way the work ethic and the work that needed to be done. Um, so uh, recruitment is a, is an issue. I think that I think the MOD knows it. The army knows it. Yeah, they know me. They just don't give just, a fuck because the people that come up with the idea a couple of years ago, they've now moved on into other jobs. So they don't really give a fuck that it doesn't work. And then, and here's the thing as well. Whoever like crunches a number and is the one that makes the decisions, I'm not going to be the one that ends up on patrol in Russia 2022. <laughs> I called it first. <laughs> no, fuck that. I wouldn't want to be going there, mate. Game over. I'll be like, no, I'm waving a white piece of paper if anyone can see it. Not, um, not a chance. No, yeah. no, thank you. Um, you know, the British Army was known as just like the speed bump, wasn't it? Back like in Germany days, it was like, you know, your idea was to hold them up long enough to make some kind of like peace treaty or something. Yeah. It's just, no, my, my thing with the numbers, mate, is like when they when they brought in this uh, that defense review that announced the slashing of numbers, as somebody had been going out on tours and seeing the overstretch then, I'm thinking, I was thinking at the time, again, general Lance Corporal here. I'm like, hang on a minute. We're cutting blokes when we ca- when we can't maintain the current yeah. amount of folks. And then the idea that you can replace regular units with uh, reservists. Look, I was I came from the reservists, right? I have, I have so I'm not fucking hating on reservists whatsoever. I am right right now. I'm doing a podcast. This is not my main job. I'm doing a podcast. There's people out there like Joe Rogan and stuff. It's their main gig. They're a lot better than me. Why? Because they do it three, four times a week. Yeah. It's just how it is. It's like, it's the reason a semi-pro, semi-pro wrestler could never go up against a, a pro wrestler. Okay, wrestling's not good one this week. But uh, UFC, you know, like UFC, MMA kind of guys. I was listening to a, a podcast as I was uh, as I was driving back up from uh, South Wales yesterday. And it was about, um, it was about Julius, uh, Julius Caesar. And before him was a guy called Marius. And Marius is... He was kind of like widely kind of credited with making the Roman army a standing army, which basically meant that instead of just in times of need going like, right, everyone grab your fucking shield, going to go kill some people. It's like you have an army at all times um, and that they are professional soldiers and they are funded by the state and their job is to be a army that's ready to react to, to everything. And um, because they were kept in the field all year long, that meant that they, well, not kept in the field, but kept in a, as a force all year long, they were able to be kept into units, which didn't change. So they could drill every day. They could work on their, their fitness, which, you know, was a bit different to ours. They just used to have all the fucking kit on and just disappear over the hills. But they did wrestling and stuff like that too. But they were able to work as a force day in, day out. So when they came across an army who had been, they don't say, let's say they came together for like what would be known as an exercise now a few times a year, guess what? They absolutely fucking destroyed them. Now... Does that need any more explanation of someone that does something every day will be better than somebody that does it a few days a year? And um, I've also, like, one of the things I did in TA was I I tried to recruit people for it. Now, the thing is about TA and stuff like that is it's something that if you want to do it, some people will be found out of, oh, I'd never heard of this thing. Generally, people will seek the, the, the that thing out if they want to do it, right? Yeah. So no one came around to my house and said, do you want to do podcasting? I was like, I quite like the idea of doing podcasting. I'll look into it. You have to be living in a fucking rock to not know that there's a TA, to not know that there's a reserve force, to not know that there's an army. So if you have an interest in the army, you're going to go along to a careers office or something like that. So the idea that these extra people could just pop out of nowhere. So I spat all over you there, mate. Getting a passion. I'm <laughs> fucking, oh, I'll spit on you, you dirty bugger. <laughs> right, edit that one out. <laughs> no, but... um. 
the the idea that these people are just going to like pop out of nowhere, it's just mental. I I think that whenever you well, whenever I deployed, we'd always get about ten reserve guys come to the the Careful company. What you say now, mate? Remember, this is my podcast, and um, <laughs> you know, for the for, and I'll give it to them for the for the majority, they could pull the weight and they could do. They needed a few, you know, tweaks here and there. They sure. passed. What was mandatory, but like for like them. most of your regular lads will need their tweaks. They still too. need their tweaks, yeah. you know. But what you will get with some of the reserve guys is that you know, for, uh, we had one where we we trained him up with it, you know, in in camp before we deployed. You know, they came to us for I think it was about four weeks before we deployed, maybe not even that. Um, and we trained him up, you know, we give him extra education on being a you know a point man. Point man's a yeah. So point job. man is the guy that's going to walk in front of everyone looking for the IEDs, basically. So and, and obviously you, very important. And you have to have trust in that individual. And I looked at this guy, he was an older guy, you know, he was late 30s. You know, bear in mind I was, what, 20, 26, I think then, something like that. Um, section commander. And I thought, you know what, he can do this. One of the first times he was out on the ground, couldn't couldn't focus and carry himself properly. Ended up carrying his kit and so, I ended so up. Is, what, so it was a fitness issue. It was what well, it, it was fitness, but it was it was age. You know, he was he was late thirties, virgin forties. You know, sort of thirty fags a day type guy. Right. And don't smoke, you know, people. Don't you know, smoke. <laughs> yeah. And it was nothing against him as a person because actually he was a nice bloke. Yeah. Um, but should should the argument there is should he have been yeah. within a forward location? And, and like th- this brings us back to our thing about <clears throat> the reason there's the age limit is what it is because like. Mate, I'm I, I keep on top of my fitness, man. Ten years on from when I was in Afghan, I know I would struggle a lot more then than I did before. Like, I probably I, I probably push through it because I'm a stubborn bastard. But I would, there's yeah. no doubt that I would struggle more now yeah. than I did then. And there's nothing, you know. God, there's there's probably 40, 50, 60 year olds that are, that are fitter yeah, than course, me. But they, are, but they are a very and, small percentage, and it's a small percentage of yeah. minority. But you know, I think that with reserves, they can be. Really pressure. I know, for example, my my regiment, um, you know, the Princess of Wales Royal Regiment, um, join them. Um, <laughs> you know, they are. No, the, <laughs> no join, join them. Just don't be one of the shitbags. Yeah, that comes no, <laughs> they are um, approaching the reserve mentality very, very well because they know that at the moment, at this current moment, I think it's easier to recruit a reserve soldier than it is to recruit a regular soldier and that therein is an issue um so you know some of our arguably good instructors some of our top soldiers are finding themselves at the moment they're in the reserve units being the instructors there so our regiment is is approaching it i think differently to what other units are and if we were to deploy somewhere now and take reserve soldiers with us would would we be maybe better off than others I potentially think so yeah I think that's a great way of doing it mate and, but like we said there's no escaping the fact that the more time you get together the better 100% um, and I think that regiment should you know you should work with as much as, as possible um, I don't really see that much of a point of reserve forces training together as companies and stuff like that because here's the thing your your full screws are not going to be uh, so full screws, full corporals, so section commanders. They are not going to have the level of experience that a regular one does. Um, so you're looking at doing unless it's changed dramatically. So please let me know if it does, and I'll retract this on the next one. So I'll, I'll tell you what I'll say. I'll say while I, when I was around, when I was yeah. around, it was two weeks to go and do a course to get your full corporal in the TA. How long was it in regulars? Maybe a few months. 
uh, eight weeks. Eight weeks, eight weeks. Sergeant, you go and do another two-week course. That's senior brecon is another few. That's seven weeks. So it's eight weeks tactics for juniors, yeah. and then you have to go and do another X amount of weeks doing weapons Skill training. Yeah. And it's the same for seniors. It's I think tactics is six or seven weeks, uh, and then it's you and do another. So let's basically phase. say that you could get your sergeant and TA from doing four weeks of courses, whereas the regular equivalent would have taken you the best part of seven months or something, eight months. Well, that's just the time on courses. That's just the time on course. Let, let alone the, the time and the yeah, job. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's, you know, there's that. Now, both know people who have been really shit, regular platoon sergeants, regular shit, full screws. Yeah. Both know CA reserves that have done better. But the, the problem with the reserves is the higher up the ladder you go, the more that experience really kind of shows. So, I know people who, um, you know, and again, this isn't their own fault. It's not like they made the rules, but they were sergeants and they were just carrying ECM blue, yeah. um, which is a big, heavy piece of like electronic countermeasures equipment, which is basically a job for a private soldier. They were doing that job because they just they just didn't have the the training and the skills to do those so those other the jobs. I do think TA is great for filling out the junior ranks, lance corporals and privates. One of the reasons I think this is. The problem again is you do get shit bags. So yes, but you get shit bags anywhere. But I think that um, you get guys that have come in who are really kind of motivated because they don't need to be there. It's not their job or anything. So they've if they aren't there on a tour, they probably volunteered for it. They want to be there. And what I find, I think, and this can go for any industry. So if we're gonna, if, like, if we compare the army to an industry, people can get institutionalized, and you can begin to think only in one way. So this is the way we've done it. This is the way we always do it. This is the way it'll be done. If you have someone that comes out who has different experience in life or something, they might be able to say, well, hang on. You know, I know this wasn't the army, but how about if we tried something like this? And they can yeah. bring a fresh set of eyes to it. And if you've got an intelligent, you know, bloke coming in and doing that kind of stuff, that can work really well. When we were in, uh, we were, when we were on Telic 10, December, uh, sorry, not December, uh, 2007, um, out in Iraq, the battalion was very undermanned at the time because the recession hadn't hit and a lot of people just left because they didn't want to be doing the third tour in Iraq in a few years. Yeah, The numbers were very heavy. There was a lot of TA lads in those ranks. And I think it actually worked out really well because the good lads outweighed the shitbags. And there was, you know, it just, um, it, there was a bit of added maturity as well. Like one of my lads in my team, he was, I would say, I'm trying to think now because like this goes back to, at the time, I thought he was old as fuck. He was probably like 30. <laughs> I was like 23. I probably thought he was fucking... I probably thought I was like, oh, fucking hell, granddad. He's probably like 30 years old. Yeah. You know, it's bomber crews and that. Yeah. It's like bomber crews in the Second World War. You'd be known as granddad if you were like 23 years old, which is <laughs> mental. <laughs> fucking mad, hard bastards. But um, yeah, it's, but I think he really helped because sometimes he'd bring the... The, the, the again this wild testosterone Lord of the Rings thing it'd yeah. almost be like having a dad it's like dad who's seven years older but you know it's like I said mate it's never never land in the infantry so yeah. you, and so to have someone that's come out and had you know had this experience and stuff and the work ethic as well because like let's be honest mate I do it I mean I'm doing it right now I'm complaining <laughs> but like when you've got when you've been out all night in the Warriors and you're coming in the morning and you've got to replace track on them or you've got to put Babar armor back on and it's 50 Celsius and everyone's pissed off. If you've had someone that's maybe worked on a building site pouring concrete for 12 years, his work ethic will then begin to rub off on the other people because it's like when you, it's like that peer pressure kind of group mentality. When you see it's like oh he's cracking on, I suppose I better fucking do this thing instead of just sitting around here complaining. And, yeah, 
you know, chucking dust at each other. It's just like, I, I think there's, a, there's you know, real benefit to that. And we look at the look at the armies of the First World War, Second World War. You know, a lot of these people who come off, you know, the streets and things like that. And I, there's a benefit to having those different those different people of different ages thrown in. But as you said, mate, we have to. It all comes down to holding the line on standards. If there's a if there's a set test, so I I did. Um, oh, sorry, mate, I'm going off on one here. But when I I did um, <laughs> when I when I was in the TA to begin with, there was a different combat fitness test to the regular one, and it was four miles with fifty five pound instead of eight miles with fifty five pound. Okay. And you'd see people struggle to make the four mile, yeah. four mile one. And I'm thinking, at the time, you know, I was, you know, 18 years old. I'm thinking, well, what happens when they go to a regular unit? If they're struggling on this now, there's absolutely no way that they're then going to be able to do a double on top. And the whole idea with the combat fitness test is that you can fight a battle at the end of it. Yeah. It's not that you come over the, the line. It's like the retreat from Stalingrad. And you know you get you get back and um, everyone's absolutely fucked. You should be fine, as in not just okay. You should be fine at the yeah. end of a combat fitness test. You should not have any trouble doing it whatsoever. So if someone is literally a hair's breadth away from getting put on the cunt truck because they can't keep up on a four miler, they're doomed on an eight miler. Yeah. So they brought that up to speed. So you know they, then they made it at the eight miler and stuff. And one of the things that always used to fuck me off about the reserves was the, the massive fuss that they made when they they finished it. Like this is there's this huge achievement. Like they've just gone off Everest. And I say I'm sorry. And I'm saying they. That's not everyone. I'm not being like oh I'm better than no. So there's some but some of the people. And I would say it was a good percentage of it. Yeah. Like they'd done this huge achievement. No. You just passed the basic test. It's a tick in the it box. Is. And that's that's, what, that's, that's why I couldn't go back to it because that attitude. Actually, you know what? One little story, mate. Rant, rant, rant. He rant, rant. So when I was doing, I went and did one of those little two-week courses to get my Lance Corporal. And um, there's something that, that our, so our instructors, it was up in Catrick. The instructors are regular instructors. And that, so they do like a regular course and they do like a TA course. And, and something that one of them, he was in the rifles, he'd done a couple of tours in Iraq. I hadn't been on tour yet, so I was kind of in awe of this guy, as you usually are when it comes to instructors and stuff. And um, and I remember something that he said has really stuck with me. And um, basically, we'd done this, uh, we'd done this uh, section attack, and at some point he'd asked, asked me to take over the attack because the lad that was, the, was the, supposed to be the section commander just totally fought. He was hanging out of his ass, so he was unfit. So he shouldn't have been on the course in the first place. Don't send people on courses. Sorry, mate. Right, I'm going around. That's fine. I went when I went for my PTI course. There's people turn up to do PTI course who fail the fucking basic fitness test. What the fuck? Do not send your people on courses if they can't pass the fucking test to begin with. That's mental. Yeah. But yeah, so this lad, he, he couldn't keep up the fitness. He had to drop out the section attack. He's supposed to be the commander, and we finish it, and he goes, "Well, I tried my best, Corporal," and this bloke goes, "That is why I fucking hate TA." and and he's and I and you know like I said I was from the TA I'm not hating on TA because that's why I fucking hate the TA. You think because you tried your best is good enough? He said, "What are you going to say to the mum of a ki- uh, of a lad in your section who gets killed on tour?" Oh, I did my best. Sorry, go on. But look, listen, people out there, try your best. But if your best isn't good enough, you better do more. What is this, mate? It's, you said it before. The word standards. It's standards and um, leadership as well. I don't think you. Um, at certain levels, if the leadership isn't right, the blokes don't, regardless of whether they're regular or reserve, they don't want to work for them. Totally, yeah. They work for each other, but if the leadership's not right, you know, I was fortunate to work with some fantastic, you know, leaders at all levels. Um, there was a few that, 
you know were, were questionable but you know for the for the for the majority you know they were good and, and it inspired you to do the right thing mm. you know i remember my last platoon sergeant that was on herrick 15 the bloke was just calm so herrick, herrick is a afghanistan friend. yeah so yeah afghan herrick 15 it was um 2011 he was just calm collected all the time you know it wasn't a shouty sergeant like people say always oh, a sergeant he's going to shout it mm. just calm bloke treated everyone as equal you know set the standard wore all the issued kit because he's like well you know this is what that's what yeah, that's do. that's a very interesting point you know and 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 i have the utmost utmost respect for that man because he was just you know he, he did everything the right way as it should be as, as a senior nco so everyone regardless of whether they were reserve or regular on that tour or at any point really always looked to him and went well he did the right thing yeah. never it was never questionable that's a really interesting one, mate, on the, the uniform or stuff, because I am like a self-confessed battlefield fashion. Like, I'm a fashion of whore when it yeah. comes to that. And But this is, it's a good point, actually, because if, let's say, for instance, you're told by the chain of command, let's say that the, um, let's say that the brigade say nobody is to wear, um, you're only to wear issued eye protection. You can't wear your own. And your platoon sergeant wears a pair of Oakleys. Yeah. Which might be just as good ballistically, but the fact is he's then... You know, he's done something contrary to what he's been taught. Does he really then have a leg to stand on if he says to one of the lads, um, clean your weapon, and the lad didn't clean his weapon? Because it's like, it's you know, you've not done what the chain of command told you. It's setting the standard, you know, and it, and it goes into, any, it goes into any, any job, really, if your boss sets a standard and you're yeah. like, okay, this is what I should be doing. You I know, think, you do I think it. it's the, if, if, you, if you know, I think because a lot of the times when you're trying to get away with, like, wearing a bit of different kit and stuff like that, it's an act of defiance. I was his drama child, I think. Were you? Did yeah. you have a beard? Like I had that, a so? beard. I I had I had, you know, sandbag and you know scrim where I shouldn't have done in my helmet. Yeah. You know, breaking up the shape as we. As but we I was going. Yeah, but here's the th- here's the thing about that. How many times did you hear it in Afghan and stuff like that? No scrim on your helmet, and then they bring out those scrim net and things that they've been telling us for years not to put on. Our we, we were going through like so much of a transition period with, and helmet was a. You know, we were in Afghan, you know, and. Yeah. Helmet was a topic of discussion, and it was like, you know, no scrim. Um, and then it was, no, you have scrim, but scrim only. And then it was, oh, no, you can break up the shape of it if you want to. And then it was, you know, so many different things. It's, man, mate, who's, who's got, like, who is it? It's in the head shed in Bastion or whatever that's worrying about this stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like <laughs> it's, we got bigger things to worry about. And I think yeah. one of the reasons they do it, mate, is that there are bigger things to worry about. They don't know how to fix those. So it's almost like the distraction method of, well, we'll give, well, well, I fixed this problem, which was lads wearing scrim on helmets. Oh, well, what about that problem about like the fact that, uh, that there's no mutual support between these patrol bases? Oh, well, don't worry about that. We'll get the scrim sorted first. The thing for me is that I always related it back. I know we're on helmet discussion topic now. And um, the thing so I, like to, I like to bring everything around there. <laughs> the thing, the we've, thing, got another, we've got another 40 minutes yeah, so we can I definitely like fill them. this with helmet talk. For me, it was like, right, we've always been taught, break up the shape. You know, yes. break, break up the shape of everything. That's, so that, that's so I just got, so you have some people listening who might not be familiar with this. So breaking up, what you mean by breaking up shape is that the silhouette of a soldier with a helmet and his equipment and stuff is a very familiar, like if I put a, just a silhouette, no detail, just showed you a silhouette of a soldier and his equipment, you would know that there was a soldier. So the idea is that you break up that shape 
so that it doesn't stick out. So that what a human, because the human eye takes in billions of pieces of information a second. Now, if that shape is broken up, they might, because if you see a silhouette out the corner of your eye, which is an obvious one to you, your eye will be drawn to it, whether you're deliberately looking for it or not. That's just how, it's just how things work. I mean, old guys listening, if you see a shape of boobies out the corner of your eye, you're probably going <laughs> to look at the boobies. Ladies, whatever you like looking at, I don't know, send your answers in on a postcard, but it's, it, if you break up that shape, you might go unnoticed. You could even you could be standing in front of a tree line, but if your shape is broken up and the person's not looking directly at you, they might miss it. So what Sean's talking about here is adding pieces of your equipment, like when you're taught when you're in training, going through the most and it's one of the most earliest lessons you yeah. do you learn is about how to break up your shape. And then for some reason, when we got out on tour, it's then it becomes a thing that they don't want you to do. It's very strange. Well, at this time, that's what I was sort of doing. I was telling my blokes, no, we need to break up. And there was no clear direction on what we could or couldn't do at this point. It was all up in the air. So I, you know, I, I made my helmet different. And this is where I come back to, you know, I was probably the platoon sergeant's <laughs> problem <laughs> child. Were you a full screw? Were you, were yeah, you yeah, yeah. So you got, so you got a yeah. section. Um, so there was, there was me doing that and a couple of other blokes did a few different things. But at one point we had, and the reason I did it was because if I wasn't told to go a certain route, I would spend time in ditches, mm-hmm. bush lines. Yeah. As long as it didn't impede me to do my job, if I had to do it, I would choose a really so explain obscure to people, route. Explain to people why you do that. The, basically, the IED threat, you know, was 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 high over most of Helmand Province. So, for me, it was to choose the most obscure route um, that I could to go to a certain location to minimise the risk to the blokes. I would have a you know the bloke I trusted at the front to do his job and to look to look at the ground, utilize the ground to what he thought. But I would say right, let's go this way via here. You know, you you get good, and those that have been in the army, you, you know, or have deployed, you know, you get good at knowing an area and know the routes where you can and shouldn't go. So for me, I was trying to stay in places that were obscure, and actually by breaking up the shape of the helmets and uh, and your body, it was difficult for you know any any guys that were out there trying to spot us coming in um, and, and forewarn um, the enemy, it was just giving us a bit more time. Whether that ever happened like that, I don't know. I'm but sure that, was the, sure that was the intention. Be. Because what the, what the Taliban are doing is they're looking for patterns. Yeah. And this is not just, this is not just the time. This is, this is any, this is anybody. This, uh, you know what? Let's take it even, this, this is um, advertisers. Advertisers are looking for patterns in how you shop and things like that. And then what they do is they tailor their plan based on your patterns. It's no different to what yeah. the Taliban are doing, um, except instead of blowing up your wallet, blow yeah. your fucking vehicle. It's, it's how they exploit it, isn't it? You exactly. Know, um, so, they're, so they're looking for patterns. So what you need to do is the unexpected, um, which doesn't mean going out patrolling in a dress or something like that, <laughs> but it does mean going routes that... Because they can't... They, they, they have limited manpower like just like we did. They can't watch everything, so they can't put ambushes in on every route. They can't put IEDs in on every track. So they have to pick their spots, pick their battles. And the more you throw them off, the, the more you keep them on the on the back foot. And when you're keeping someone on a back foot, and this is like the same if you're doing any kind of martial arts or whatever, when you're putting someone on a back foot and they don't know what's coming and they don't know where it's coming from. So if you watch boxing, you know, if, if somebody, sometimes they'll have it, the, a guy or MMA, a guy that's usually... Um, a guy, a guy might might come in and he might switch up to Southpaw and usually yeah. he's not. 
and you see the other person's face like, oh, what the fuck? Because they've spent all their time training for the other thing. So the more like, and here's the thing. If you, if you spent every, every patrol going into a ditch um, or going into a river or whatever, then they'd be like, well, now we know where to do. We concentrate. So it's not about that rivers and ditches are better necessarily than anything else. It's just that you've got to throw in. You've got to throw in as much different um, as as many different variables that they have yeah. to think about as possible. Because the more time they're spent thinking, the less time they're spent doing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> one one example of it, which when we first got there, with my platoon commander's first first operational tour, which it it was often is like that anyway. They only usually do about one tour anyway as a platoon commander. Um, and his idea was, well, what we're going to do is, guys, we're not going to go out the front gate which is observed all the time anyway, we're going to go out the back over the roof, uh, get the ladders out, so we've got the ladders out, go over the top. And a good friend of mine was not happy. He was climbing up the ladder and over over the back. Um, well, he, he slipped on the top. So he slipped through the barbed wire then. Oh! Got his leg caught on the ladder and was hanging upside down on the outside and he's going mad. He's, he, you know, he's like, boss... Was this nighttime or daytime? No, it's daytime oh, as well. Daytime. Honestly, so like, obviously the boss was finding his feet, you know, and um, but all I could hear was was my mate going mad because he just slipped off his <laughs> roof, mate. He was mad, and you know, he was, you know, he he'd had a lot more operational experience than me as well at the time. He was the other section commander in, in the other section of the platoon, and um, you know, he he was furious, like because it just wasn't going right for him. Like the first few days, just things were. You know, he... Pressure, mate. It, it, pressure it was. You know, but it's, and it's learning your environment, which sort of, you know, comes back to that yeah. point. It's learning your environment because we, we, you have to constantly learn. If you don't learn whilst you're on tour, if you think you know everything when you get there, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Simple. Yeah, one of the things I wrote in my Afghanistan book, which is coming out in May, check it out. Um, we're recording this in November, <laughs> where I don't actually have all the details yet, but... Just check out my stuff. It'll be on there. But one of the things I wrote was on when we got to um, so my like kind of a little group of friends yeah. when we were in Afghanistan. We'd all done a few tours of uh, a couple of tours of Iraq, and I uh, said that we we knew enough to know that we didn't know enough. Yeah. Um, and that that's the same as everything. And again, it comes down to keep coming that back to this made the maturity thing. Yeah. When you're 23 or 18 or 19, you do think you know everything. Yeah. Now I'm at the point where I'm like oh, shit, you know what? I'm never actually going to know everything. So it doesn't matter if I live to be 500, you're never going to know anything. Um, and, you know, I think you have to have... One of the things that you do when you're younger is your posture. So when you get on your first tour, you think, oh, fuck, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I'm fucking scared. So I'll <laughs> act like I know how to do everything. <laughs> Whereas when you get a couple in, you don't mind saying, you know, you, you like the unit, you take it. So you turn up for your first tour and the lads are trying to hand over to you. They know the area. You're like, yeah, whatever, lads. Do this every day. Not a big deal. Just coming in, you know, off you go. Whereas when you get in on, by the time you're on your second, third tour, you're like, tell me everything. Yeah. Because it's like all that that little information about, oh, this guy in the corner of the compound here or this, com- this compound here is empty. If you see anyone in there, something's up. Because you might go out and go, oh, look, it's the Joneses in that compound. Yeah. And it's not the Joneses, it's Terry. I, I had that specifically when we did the handover takeover. When I left Herrick 15 in 2012, when we left there, the guys that came in, I was trying to do the best handover I could to the section commander because I was like, I'd learned so much about that area over six months. Um, you know, there wasn't many days where I didn't go out. So, you know, I knew the place at the back of my hand. Mm. And all he was concerned was, 
okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine, but but where's where's the enemy? You know, where's the fighting? Everywhere. And it's like I said, listen, I said, mate, I said, I said, firstly, you know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, I was like because we're all in the infantry for for a reason. I was like, but be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You know, I was like because things can change very quickly. I said, but what I'm trying to I was trying to show him, you know, the at the time, the influential people within the protected community, you know, within the town that we were in, that yeah. we'd actually successfully turned around to, to help us. Yeah. I was trying to tell him the influential people who actually come up to you and go, Taliban were here last night. They put an ID over there. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great thing as well, mate, but doing that because in our culture, it's not as strongly ingrained. But over there, the whole thing of respect your elders, respect that they have a civilian chain of command. Um, so right round, round, round here, right? You might be a young whippersnapper listening. Sam, mate, I'm going to go back and re-record this. I've sounded about eight years old. You know. It's because you're, you're wearing a sweater. It's, ho, ho, ho. It's like, um, <laughs> if you're round here, there's an old person walking at the bus, um, that was standing by the bus stop, and a bunch of young kids walk by, just ignore them or start playing up or whatever. It doesn't happen in Afghanistan. They fucking pay respect to that person. Yeah. And they're getting a slap around the head if they don't. So as a result, if you come in, and you're a young platoon commander or a young soldier or whatever like that, and the village elder, you walk by him and you give him a sneering look because you think that you're a better person and yeah. a better human being than him. He might, he literally might go, fuck, there's my in the Taliban. It's exactly like, that. And you, you're, exactly some, of your, that. some of your mates could end up dying yeah. because of because you look down on someone or when he went to speak to you, you made some fucking... Here's the other thing as well, lads. They might not speak English, but... If you make a joke about somebody and your mates start laughing, you don't need to understand the language. Now, I've done it. I've definitely done the old, do you want to come and see the puppies in the back of my warrior thing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, wish I hadn't because it wasn't clever. <laughs> it was not, it's not, it's not clever doing that stuff. Be as respectful as you can to everybody because you, yeah. you don't know who, you don't know who they are. You don't know. Like, you think about it, right? These people, and this is, and I'm, I'm going to generalise here because this will be the same as it was, was in, is it in Ireland or Afghanistan or Russia 2022 or wherever <laughs> it's going to be. Like this, these people are caught in a very difficult position. That their home, like you imagine right now, wherever you're living right now, you imagine that you're living in the middle of, you've got a, a force from another side or a different part of the world, patrolling around there who are going to come in, they're going to try and be nice and something to give your kids sweets and they're going to try and speak to you because I do think that generally we have a very good attitude towards the locals. However, they can't help you really because if they do, like if they don't help British forces, nothing happens like to them. Nothing bad's going to happen, right? They might, we, we, you know, we, we're not going to go and take revenge on them. If they help the enemy they could get their kneecaps drilled out in the middle of the night. They could have their families beheaded in front of them and stuff like that. So ask yourself the honest question, would you be helping? Okay, but let's just say that someone does want to help. Let, let's let's say that they they go, you know what? I think NATO and, and you know, stuff, the, the forces here, they are the best thing for this country. I think the Taliban are bad. I want to help. Maybe they're sitting on the fence. And they're like, I know that there's this IED on this corner of the compound and I've seen them go past there before and they just missed it and I should tell them, oh, fuck, but I don't want to run the risk of getting killed. And then he's on the fence about this and the next day one of the lads goes past and goes, oh, you wanker, and everyone starts laughing at him. That little, that little incident might be enough to put him off. On the other hand, making that human point of contact where you take a couple of minutes on patrol 
and you, you, you're through your interpreter, you're asking about his kids, you're asking about what can you can do to help, and you're telling him, you show him a picture of your kids. You're not then this guy, this faceless soldier who's in eye protection and helmet and stuff. You are a person to him, and maybe he goes, you know what, fuck it, because they are courageous people. If, you, if you're living on a front line of a war, you're a fucking courageous person, because if not, you've already done one to a different, you've already <laughs> left the area. You know, that, that could make a difference, and I, I, I think that... Generally, I think that the British Army are good at doing this. They are. I, I, I think they are. I think sometimes you, you know, how keen you are can mask, you know, sort of cloud your judgment at times. Do you mean so? What do you mean by keen as in how keen to get amongst it and start putting rounds down? You are yes, yeah. like stuff like you know, you know. But on the other hand, you know, if if the boss is keen to invoke a change in terms of something politically within the area or something they want to, a project to go in the area. I know, for example, again, and I'll revert back to this, this same operational tour, ROC was extreme, who was the officer commander of the company, was extremely keen on getting a, a local police checkpoint put in, in this town. Really keen to do it. But the locals probably weren't. Long story short, after we left, that local police commander, who was ex Taliban, turned on everyone, stole the police truck, stole the weapons, beheaded all the local police. And left. And let's just so, just so people know as well, a police police there are not the same as police here. The locals don't like them because what they generally do is um, they force people to pay like bribes and stuff like that. They 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 act as like gangsters more than um, it's not. There's not. It's not. We shouldn't even. I don't think we should even refer to them as police. These they, these were even less. These were these were called. So they probably post post used as we were coming in. They did two things. You have the Afghan National Police, which right. is what you were talking about, which we yeah. were starting to partner sort of the year or so before us. Yeah. Um, but they then brought in these things called the Afghan Local Police. Right. So they were recruited as local as possible to that area. And the commander wasn't necessarily from the from the area, but they were trying to put in these local police forces to control the area because the, the National Police were, were busy, mm. um, same as the army. So... They tried to put in these Afghan local places who were arguably potentially even more corrupt than than what... I mean, I, I know it in Basra as well. I know a few lads that have shot Iraqi police and that wasn't fucking because they wanted to. That was because the Iraqi police were quite often part of the Jaysh al-Mahdi, which was our main opposition. Um, and they, they were, if not passively involved, sometimes actively involved. Like yeah. one of the lads, there was a... It was a and it, literally, these guys are firing at his patrol from an Iraqi police vehicle. Um <laughs> You know, so it, it's it's mad. It's very hard to get. I was fucking there, and I find it hard to get my head around it. Yeah, you know, this isn't the same as like North Wales police around here yeah. coming over. Like this, this is like your local copper turning up and like because you're like, oh, we've got joint patrol with the cops later in the day. And you see a police car coming. Oh, here they come. Nope, they're going to open up on you and drive off. It's, and they'll they'll have they'll have internal disputes in there. It's very hard for us in the West, man, to get our head around the culture of it. Like I try. I put a lot of effort into it to try and understand it. And just unless you live it, unless you've been brought up in that culture, you'll never fully understand it. Like when I go to America, you know, I like to spend vacations in America. When I go there, there's cultural differences between America and the UK. Um, the, the, <laughs> massively at times. Yeah, massively at times. Like literally, there's there's one book, I can't remember if it's written by now, and I think we used to even call it, no, not him. But there's 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 a... There's a book called If Only They Didn't Speak uh, English, which is basically saying that, like, if Americans didn't speak English, we wouldn't think of them as being that similar to us. 
it's just a literally because it's like oh they speak English and they ha- live in a place called New York yeah like you know, and there's there's those kind of names in the thing that were similar but a lot of the cultural differences um, I think as soldiers we probably have less cultural differences because we're quite martial you know we we um, you know we we're more comfortable with gun- not to say all Americans like like guns because obviously some don't but we are more comfortable with that kind of thing we're more I think we're yeah but we're also more patriotic <laughs> yeah. Without doubt, we we we're more you know we're more kind of like patriotic and and you know and do you think I, so, soldiers? All oh, right, soldiers. I thought you meant just as no, no 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 no. Sorry, mate. Sorry. No. Um, so so I think soldiers. We have a we have a sense of uh, patriotism, which doesn't mean like we just go around thinking everything our country's done is great, but we understand that we are better off than a lot of fucking places in the world. Because here's the thing, right? When Mrs. Miggins is saying that we're a third world country because a bin doesn't get emptied occasionally, that doesn't make a third world country, Mrs. Miggins. Like, there's, like, I think one great thing about the army, because sometimes, yeah, when I'm complaining about the army and stuff like that, I'm not actually most of the time complaining about the army. What I'm usually complaining about is the MOD. Is where most of my complaints Because oh, yeah, the army just gets some of it. Yeah, it? exactly. So I want to give some credit to the army. And one of the things I will credit with massively is the way that, it, like, to be able to go to places where you would never go otherwise. And admittedly, you might have to shoot some people when you're there. <laughs> that was a joke. Sometimes you don't. Um, no, I got to very, like, a very early age. I got to go to, um, I went to Albania, I went to Ukraine, I went to Uzbekistan. I'll tell a story about Uzbekistan one day. I hinted about it. It involves a police station and stuff. International incidents. We'll come back to that. <laughs> Saving that one for the autobiography. But um, no, like to be able to go to those countries, really then when you come back and one of your friends is like, say, well, I, I was at the uni at the time I was doing those things. Yeah. And someone's complaining about, I don't know, what the fuck? Because I can't even think of any many worthwhile things to actually complain about when it comes to like, like, Oh, the fire service are on strike for a couple of days. Well, you know what? At least we have a fire service. Oh, the NHS, I had to wait three days for an appointment. But then you had an appointment. Yeah. You know, you didn't go to the local fucking witch doctor <laughs> who, 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 you know, who, who decided that, you know, the reason you were ill was because you were a sinner and give you a, whipped you. You know what I mean? So, like, I think the army's good for that, for for giving us perspective. Yeah. You know, basically. Um feel like I'm on a pulpit giving a sermon here. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's, great for, it's great for that. And the other thing as well, mate, it's like, you know, I'm sure, sure you feel the same with me. Is that I was talking to a lad last night. Hopefully going to have him on the podcast soon. So I'm not going to give too much away from him. And all I will say is that this lad, he was a young soldier, went through some bad experiences, and he has channeled those bad experiences into living a pretty fucking phenomenal life that most people would look at and go, oh, you lucky bastard. Well, you know what? The reason he did it is because he was a bit of an unlucky bastard in some yeah. senses. But he's channeled that into a great direction. I don't think you and I would be sitting down um, having a chat today if it wasn't for, you know, like negative experiences in the life. And, and, I, and I, I can't think of anything else but to call them negative because when there's loss in life, there is, it is going to be negative. It doesn't matter how much of a good spin on it. Yeah. There's still, you know, it's still, you know, sometimes a negative's negative. But then it's what you do with it, you know, you, what you do with it afterwards. I remember I had a personal training client once back when I was in my flexing days. And um, she got cancer, she, she developed cancer, which was obviously a very negative experience for her. But when she came back from it, and she, she, you know, she was a cancer survivor. When she came back from it, she kept, she kept all the best parts of her personality. But instead of working, 
like a slave every day, not even thinking about it. She was just putting one foot in front of the other without even thinking about it. She cut her job down. She went part-time, so she cut her hours down so that she could spend like four days a week just going walking and being in nature and really just in, and, and going on holidays because she didn't have kids. So she was like, why am I bothering save? Why, why, why am I doing this money, this, this work, just to stack up savings? But she's like, because it gave her a new lease on life. Now, you and I, mate, we are both, I don't, I don't, you don't mind me going into this no. stuff, do you? So both, both you and I have, have documented the fact that we've, we've both had PTSD. Well, both have PTSD, I should yeah. say. I don't think there's anything that you ever get rid of. What do you reckon about that? No, I think that, um, PTSD is, I think that it's a, it's a taboo topic for some people and I don't know why. Um, I used to look at it and be like, you know, didn't think it was a thing. And that's, you know, and that's, why, and that's why. And, yeah. and I didn't even, you know, younger days in the army, I didn't know anything about it, you know? So I think that. It does, it does seem to be like, I, I, I struggle with this one because I think, I go back and forth between thinking, is it a modern thing because we're not exposed to stuff or is it a modern thing because we're told it's okay? And my thing of thinking about it now is I think I've fallen on the position of it exists more now because we don't have um, context for these experiences that we're seeing. So, for instance, most people, I remember like um, when we were in when we were in Iraq, we, there was one day a, a sheep was getting butchered on the side of the road. And lads had never seen it. I mean, I, so I had farming family and stuff. So I kind of like knew about the circle of life like that. But yeah. the lads had never seen it. And I'm thinking, isn't it a bit mad that we're out here to shoot people and like lads are blown away by seeing a sheep get it? So I think that's part <laughs> of it. But the other part of it is I'm sure that it has existed, but it's just been suppressed. So like fucking people used to, people now like, oh, this is a piece of like, Why were people drinking so much? And stuff like that. Yeah. And like, there's, there's things that people don't want to talk about, right? So, in the Second World War, there, now it's coming out that there's there's cases in, and it's coming out now from people's memoirs and things like that, on people's notes and diaries that left behind, about people that would kill themselves while they were out on service. And to spare the families the, the shame of knowing that someone had killed themselves, they would get written off as killed in action. Yeah. But they didn't kill them. They killed themselves because they didn't want to deal with what they were dealing with anymore. So if you look at the numbers, the official numbers, and say, oh, suicides in veterans and stuff like that, which is a lot smaller, we, we don't know, because uh, the, the doctors would think that they were doing the right thing, or the officers, by writing it up as a killed in action. So we can't rely on those, those kind of figures. Also, we know now, which is, a lot of dirt is getting pulled out in society now. So... We're finding out more now about domestic violence. I'm 35 years old. I didn't know what domestic violence was, really. I was very fortunate that, like, you know, I didn't feel like that was something that was around me, really, kind of growing up. Some people, yes, it probably definitely do. I mean, a lot of lads in the infantry that I was with, they had that in their family. But from talking to a lot of them, they thought that was just their family, you know? I wonder how much of this pain that people went through after coming back from a war was directed towards a wife, directed towards a child. You know, the other thing as well is, this is something that I feel very strongly about. When we came back from Iraq, when we came back from Afghanistan, we'd gone out there to kill people. And I have no fucking problem with that because the people we were killing needed to be fucking killed because they were the enemy and they were the bad enemy. We'd, 
you, you just go and have a look online about what the Taliban do to people. I'm not going to go into it. So we come back and we're marching through towns and we've got hundreds, thousands of people turning out, clapping, 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 do a good job, which I'm fine with because we did do a good job. 24 hours later, you hit somebody in a pub, you can go to prison. That isn't right. To have that clapping someone one minute for a act of violence and then throwing them away and then ruining their life in a lot of ways because they're going to find it very hard to get a job. And if you go to prison, you're probably going to become more violent. You know, there's a hell of a lot of numbers of veterans of Agda. We're going to be doing some special podcasts about that, so we're not going to go too far into it. But they're... Back in the day, and it, mate, when I was 18 years old, you could have a fight in town and the fight was the fight and it was done. I remember once we were having a fight. There was a, two big groups of us out in the middle of the road, out by Liquid in Wrexham. Shout out Liquid. Oh, it's not even called Liquid now. Fucking hell, I'm old as fuck. But this cop car came. We're like, oh, fuck, police are here. And it slowed down to edge around us and drove off. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I think like a lot of blokes coming back from the earlier wars, would have been able to sometimes get that thing out of them. And I think what I think one of the reasons PTSD is manifesting itself more in people now is because we have no outlet. Like there's so right, you yeah. and me, right now, you and I can sit down, we can have a chat about it, you know, and it's getting out. But we're only we're, you and I are only at this point now because we've gone through the very unhealthy outlets and yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. <sighs> I think that um I think the way we normalize behaviour which is what we, you know you just alluded to there. That was that's normal. That's like that happens in the army. Often, blokes will go and have a scrap, and and so, it's the way we normalise that, and it's the way that you know I probably have a different sort of standpoint on it, not standpoint as such, but for me, those instances that happened with me got swept under the carpet for me. Right. Now I think that you know one of the things I do sort of try and think about is that what would have happened to me if I'd have been punished for those incidences would things be different for me would I have had a bit of a culture shock shock sooner and gone well, maybe this isn't normal maybe I need to sort this out yes yes yeah, you know I what, what I mean because mean, you're given yeah you're given an outlet so one of the so people think right because like I'm assuming we've got people from all kinds of different backgrounds and stuff listening now People assume that PTSD means lying in a dark room crying. And you know what? Maybe sometimes it is lying in a dark room crying. But sometimes it's the ever-present thought of threat. So you might have PTSD and never have had a crying day in your life. But what you have had is... So like what I used to get really badly was... When I stayed in Manchester, I, I, you know, I was in Manchester, moved there for a while. The reason I moved there was because my PTSD got bad to the point that I couldn't be around my family because I was just exploding all the time. So I went moved to Manchester. And I go to the Arndale Centre in the city centre and I was so alert and overwhelmed by all this information I was trying to process about possible threats that I would actually, I, might, I would get so much pain in my shoulder that I couldn't actually raise my arm sometimes. And that was because the, the tension of, and, you know, I, I was, I, on a logical point of view, I didn't want to think this way, but there's a lot of Muslim men around there. And the last time I'd seen a lot of Muslim men of that age was in situations where I was expecting to get blown up at any moment. So there was a logical part of my brain that was saying, Kez, don't fucking worry about it, mate. You're going shopping. You're going to buy a nice new pair of trainers because buying stuff makes you happy, as we all know. <laughs> um, 
don't worry about it. These people are not, these people are not a threat. But the lizard part of my brain, which is the oldest part of your brain, which deals with fight or flight and all that stuff, that was telling me, fucking hell, something bad is about to happen here. Mate, where the fuck is your weapon? Where is the rest <laughs> of the platoon? Now, I'm not, that's not going from, it's in the movies when you've got people like, oh, I can't turn her off, man. That's, it's, it's not going through your head like that. You're not thinking that, but you don't need to because the subconscious is doing that for you. When you breathe, you don't think about breathing, right? And the reason you don't think about breathing is because you have to think about it. If you got distracted, you'd die, right? So the, the, your fight or flight response and everything like that is an automatic response because if you have to think about things, then you will, t- you, if you have to think about it, you go, all right, this seems like a dangerous situation. This guy stabbing me at the moment doesn't seem like he's up to much good. I wonder what's going on here. If you think about that, you're dead. So through all the training and all the experience that you get on tour, you learn to react quickly. I, I and I, that is that is a, a, a lot of uh, a stress to, to take on. So the reason that PTSD can manifest itself violently is because you might outwardly look calm to people, but inside the every alarm in your body is going off. So when somebody says something to you, so let, let's say, let's carry on with the shopping analogy. So you're out shopping, you're in Ardale Centre, you've bought your nice trainers, you can't lift your arm up because of fucking crippling shoulder pain. And you, you're like, let's say you're with a friend or a family member and they go, can we hurry, hurry, can we hurry it up? And they, they just raise that little stress level inside you your stress levels are just already past your eyeball and it's the straw that breaks the camel's back and you'll and you'll lash out at that point be it verbally or maybe physically or let and you know so again like you've gone for a, let's say you go for a drink the bar's busy there's a lot of noise you're trying to process it all you're pissed off with yourself because you don't want to fucking think that way and then someone bumps into you and gives you a look of fucking dickhead bump you fucking hit him and instantly you go, oh shit, I should not have, did not want to hit that person. It's, you're not making a conscious decision to do it. Yeah. It's a hair trigger. And it's been put in, these triggers have been put in us. And I think if you put something in something, you can take it out. Ooh, uh, that's what she said. Let's <laughs> try and lighten this up a little bit. <laughs> but no, see, like, it's, that, that's how it is. And, and so, if you take away anything from this podcast today, guys, I want you to take away the fact that PTSD does not mean crying in dark rooms all the time, right? It can be anger. It can be the total opposite of crying. It can be yeah. it can be someone who walks around like a fucking volcano on the edge of eruption all the time. And that is as unhealthy, if not more so, than being crying in a fucking room. Because at least when you're crying in a room, you're not fucking really damaging many other people. But like, you know, this... It, when we look at dealing with PTSD, we have to look at this as a society because it isn't just a group of individuals that are affected. It has massive fucking ripples and waves. I think, I think with 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 PTSD, I think, um, I mean, with any mental health, uh, but obviously we're talking about PTSD and specifically sort of military related yeah. PTSD. Is it for me? One, you've got to admit to yourself that there's an issue because you can go around because you can't explain it because you don't know what it is you probably went around for for a while not knowing there was well not thinking oh, nothing, nothing wrong with me you know I'm just acting out you know oh, yeah, I shouldn't it, have made that decision it becomes a new normal yeah and you can't explain it and until you turn around and flip and just go you know what this this isn't isn't normal yeah. you know and that can be a really strange point for you so I mean, what, was your, what was your moment then when you realised that 
when I realized it was an issue. No, when you realized, like, when you realized this isn't normal, this isn't, because, like, I just, before you answer that, like, to people, like, things don't, like, you don't go to bed one day and fine and you wake up the next day and you're like this. It's a creeping thing. So you don't actually, it's like, it's like, you know, when someone's losing weight and they don't see it because, you know, like, let's say you, you're losing weight and you don't see it because you see it every day and you see someone you haven't seen for two months and they go, oh my God, you've lost a lot of weight. That's kind of what it's like. It creeps on you. So you don't really notice it. So what was that moment when you were like, oh fuck, I've changed. I'm a different person than I was. I, I was actually in a psychiatric hospital. Like right, that's fair, fair enough. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll wrap up the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened was, is that there, there was a, a number of events, uh, significant events that led up to me, you know, a doctor saying, you need to go to hospital. Um, and it was whilst in that hospital, in this safe environment where you were watched constantly, I wasn't allowed a phone charger on my own and stuff like that. You know, it was literally, I had to hand my phone in to get charged if I wanted to be charged, um, you know, observed whilst eating food, things like that. It was it was at that point where you sort of calm down. There's nothing and nothing's going on in life around you. You've got a TV there, you, got, you know. It was then I was like, I've got an issue. Um, but leading up to that, I'd already been put on um, like sick leave from the army at that point. For PTSD? Well, it wasn't diagnosed at that point. So what happened is, we'll go back slightly. Um, we, um, I, was, I was in Germany. That was where my unit was based. Um, and I'd gone out for a run one day. So this was, what, 20, 2017. Um, gone out for a run one day. And I, same running route we do quite often. It was a five-mile route. I just went out for a jog. And I ran past this cornfield. Now, I'm not a massive fan of yeah, okay. cornfield. So, <laughs> cornfields, people, um, the reason that they bring back things for us is not because of scary movies that we've seen, because in Afghanistan, there's a lot of cornfields. Um, and, yeah, I know where you're going to go with this. So, just so just so you know, as uh, Sean goes on with his story here, you will see a lot of cornfields and you might have fought in some cornfields and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. so, I'm on this run and, you know, I always have my watch on. I was always timing, you know, fitness conscious. And... um hundred percent was then, and next thing I know, I looked at my watch. There's about forty minutes there, thereabouts, and unexplained. I'm stood in this cornfield, you know, middle of the day. I'm like, what the fuck has just gone on? I, you know, all sorts <laughs> could have happened to me. I had to check. I had to check my ring piece, mate. To be honest with you, but um, but no, literally, I was like, fucking hell, that's not right. So anyway, I, I just cut the run short. I went went back went back to camp, and um, a few of my friends had said, you know, over the years, you know, <laughs> coming up to that point, maybe you should go and speak to someone about, you know, some of your outbursts. So, civil, civil friends or military friends? Military friends. Right. Um, so they've they've gone, you know, you know, a couple of them, maybe you should go speak to someone. And as you do, you're like, no, I'm all right, or yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. So I actually went and spoke to a doctor and I said, look, this has happened. Can't explain it. You know, I'm not sleeping as well as I used to. I'm having a, you know a few dreams that that are uncomfortable for me, all that sort of stuff. And um, so they put me with to the mental health team, and um, we started going through a few a few pieces there. They thought it may have been a bit of work based stress at first. Um, sort of makes me laugh to be honest with you. But we went through a bit of that. But during this period, I was posted to to the UK to um, what used to be 
OPSAG, the Operational Training Advisory Group. It's now the Mobilisation Centre or something like that. So I'm I'm there and I turn up and um, well, I don't turn up to work, but we went on a holiday anyway straight away when when we arrived back in the UK with some friends from Germany. And um, the second day or the first day we were there, the guys were doing a barbecue, and I sat on the other side of the pool. You know, these are three close friends of mine planning my suicide. Jesus, man. So I sat the other side of the pool on a family I holiday. Thought, I thought you were going to have to say something funny then. No, no, no. It wasn't so ready this is, for that so one. So if you know, your listeners, you know, there's, there's a few shocking points. Don't worry, we're going to finish the podcast on a light <laughs> note. Stick with this because it's fucking boring. But but I was sat there and and I was planning my suicide. And now for me, this was this was normal. I was reading I was reading a book. I can't remember what book it was, but I was reading a book and I was like, I just put it down for a second. I was like, right. Should I do it here? Just crack up with a suicide. Should I do it here? Should I? That's one thing the military teaches me is like, when it comes to putting a plan in, pretty good to get the whole plan in. Oh, mate, yeah, so you know, I was going through the estimate and everything yeah. in my head. But, you know, I, I thought to myself, oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to ruin their holiday. You know, and I, and I speak quite light of it now, but obviously it is it Yeah, is well, a we have to, don't we? We have to. Because, and, and because I've learned from it, and, and that's where we'll get to. But obviously I didn't do it on the holiday. Um, so I, th- I put it to the back of my mind. But that then... My behaviour on that holiday then was just unexplainable to people who who weren't inside my head and no one was inside. So I was distant with people. I was withdrawn. You know, I was snappy with people. I snapped, I snapped at my mate's wife. I mean, you become, a, you become, for want of a better word, a real cunt. Yeah, and, and, and I was. And in turn, started to push my wife away from me. I think, I, do, you, do you think, mate, because, you know, I've, this is a lot, this, this, this is sounding very familiar. Do you think the part of the reason that we become, again, I'll see you say cunt, to people is because, like you're saying, oh, I don't want to ruin their holiday. So it's like we're trying to actively make people want to walk away from us yeah. because then you're like, well, now it's all right to do it because they yeah. don't care. Well, and they then- won't. it's not they won't care, but it's not like you are not – They'll almost be like, "Oh well, it's a bit of a relief because he's been a yeah." Cunt for it's part of that years. distancing process, yeah. which which actually most of us probably do to- totally subconsciously. You know, yeah. So so I've sort of done this whole thing, and the holiday didn't really happen very well, and we, we've we've got back to the UK, and me and my wife sort of split up. You know, living living in the same house because whilst what the doctors were saying was because I was on sick leave, they were like, "Well, no, you you can't really be around the army, so we can't put you in the block." Mm. So I was like, well, what the fuck do I do? So I'm sort of living in a different room to my, to my wife in the house. And this oh, oh, this just kept happening. It was manifested in my head. I wasn't sleeping right. And uh, one day I just turned around. I was like, well, fuck it. I went and wrecked a tree to hang myself from. Um, you know, went and wrecked that. Went to the shop to try and purchase a rope, all, all, all that sort of stuff. You know, she found me, you know, en route. Because she just got this feeling that there was something not right, um, and you know, essentially picked me up and took me home. Um, obviously, we had a bit of a long, long discussion. I think it was at that point where she realised there's nothing yeah, wrong you're with, not just being with a dickhead. Um And obviously, I was just then starting to get into the mental health chain um, within the army in Woolwich in London, uh, which was difficult in itself. Um, I had. Re- two hours commute to an appointment to talk about stuff that was upsetting to have two hours back, you know? Yeah. It, that it, drive back's right. never good. And to be honest, mate, like when, when it comes to, if anyone's listening, you ever going to go to therapy, which I think both me and Sean would recommend if you are struggling with stuff, yeah. 
don't have a two-hour drive on the way back after it no. because you are probably lethal at that point because you are not yeah. going to be thinking about no. you are not going to be thinking about the wheel or anything like that. So if you do go to therapy or anything like that, get a taxi or get a lift. <laughs> no, I'm seriously, definitely. man. I've you're, definitely no, done wrong. that because it, it wipes you out. Well, I well I figured out. Me and my family figured out was like I needed to be left alone for the rest of the day yeah. after I'd been in and done it because like it pulls and it has to it pulls everything on the surface. So like you, you're not, you should just be left alone at that point for the rest of the day, unless you go out seeking. Because yeah. the thing is, as well, I won't be telling people I'm going. Yeah. And then it's and so it's like they don't know that you've just, yeah. you, they don't know that you've had all these raw emotions pulled out and stuff like that. So they might just come in and, oh fucking hell, did you have to do such and such? And they might have been <laughs> in a bad mood, and then it's going to be like, the fucking anger genie will explode. And, and it's, it's it's a difficult time, mate, you know, and I went through this sort of up and down stage of trying to sort myself out, you know. I didn't want to be on any medication. Eventually the doctor was like, mate, you need to go on medication. So I got medicated, got close to Christmas. Um, I just one day just I'd not slept well at night. Literally next day I had this like devil and angel moment devil's on my shoulder going do it do it angels going don't do it don't do it and i literally you know was was in my kitchen with with a knife and i was like right, i'm gonna do it i blacked out i was like Phew. i woke up on the floor and um you know for me at that point i just the mind is a powerful it, it thing was, man i was just worn out mate just got to this point in my life i was just fucking worn out and um like I said, you know, they then got to, to January. I felt like it again. And the doctor was like, you're going to hospital. And um, and that was my realisation point, really, of where I was like, right, we've I have an issue. Yeah. Um, it was affecting, you know, that was that's a lot of information, really sort of the detail taken out of it, but in broad brush, that's well, I what think, sort I of Well, I think what happened. we're going to have to do, Mick, because I was just having a look at it, I think we're going to have to do another podcast, aren't we? If you're down for it, yeah, yeah, it's and we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do another one. So there you go. Let's make that official right now. No backing out now. No, no, no. Right. Definitely. So we do another one because what I want to talk about because I, I feel both of us have done this where yeah. we've kind of gone down into the depths yeah. of the mind, so to speak, and I both feel like we've come out the other side. The fact that we can sit here with a brew and discuss this, neither of us, we have the video to prove it. Neither of us is. Check it out. I'm giving double thumbs up to the camera right now. My hands are only shaking. <laughs> no, no, it's like we can have a conversation now. Yeah. Fucking mate. To have even have t- attempted this conversation a couple of years ago, right now, I would probably, I'd have the snot bubbles. <laughs> I'd be, bro, I would be a yeah. fucking mess. And so like... What, it's, it's important to talk about, mate. It, it is important it to really talk is. about. And the other thing that's important to talk about is the, the like I said, the positive effects of going through the shit, but also how to get out the other side. So let's do, let's make this official. Let's do another podcast where we will talk specifically about coming out of the abyss, yeah, so to speak. Let's wrap up on a on a light note, mate. Let's let's wrap cool, up. Man. Actually, you know what? Let's not wrap up on a light note. Let's wrap up on a leadership note because I think, so what we haven't gone into today because there's other, there's other places you can find out about this and I wanted to dive into some other stuff with Sean. We might get to it in the next podcast. There's a man sitting alongside me. He's a military cross winner. So as you do, he got military cross for for leading a bayonet charge against the enemy. So pretty fucking uh, pretty outside the normal realm of experiences <laughs> there. Um, that is, and I'm sure you agree with this. There's you uh, 
it's not so much the physical act you reward for then, it's, it's the leadership. Yeah. So it's the leadership of being the person that goes, like there's a great clip that goes around the internet, and I'm not sure who, the, I think it might be the Anglians, but there's a guy where he spots some Taliban, he's got a camera on, you just hear him go, calm as fuck, he just goes, all right, lads, turn, time to earn your pay. And that video gives me a fucking boner because I'm like, that is leadership. It's Royal Anglians. Royal Anglians. Yeah. Fucking, if you're listening, mate, whoever you did, you are a fucking legend. Please come on the podcast. But like, just that, that is leadership to me. So for young, we've got a lot of young people um, like following us both on social media and stuff like that, mate. So impart a bit of wisdom on leadership. What's the what's the one leadership lesson that you would tell to tell people listening? Don't for me the biggest one of the biggest things is. Do not ask anyone to do something you are not prepared to do yourself. Yeah, I second that, mate. Like, I would, I never, and this is why I never had an issue with any of my blokes, with anything I ever did in any of my sections or my platoons, is that they knew in their heart of hearts, whether we got on or not, it's irrelevant, they knew that I would never ask him to do something I hadn't already done or I wasn't prepared to do myself. I was saying this with Alex, uh, Alex Jones that we had on um, in another episode. We were saying that, the job of an off, uh, the job of a company commander, the job of a, uh, the uh, battalion commander, platoon commander, is not to be looking for IEDs. Mm. But one day, one point on that tour, and this is this this might be different for future tours where it's not the ID threat or something. But do it do it once at least, so your blokes can see that you know what it's like. And once you've done that, it's a great thing to do as a commander as well. Not just because it'll gain you leadership capital. Um, to steal a, a term from Jocko Willink there, which I think is you know, it's a fantastic term. If you're yeah. not listening to Jocko podcast, stop listening to this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, he's a fantastic podcast. But um, if, 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 if you know how it feels to, and we'll use this as an example, clear a route for looking for IEDs, if you know how to do that, that's going to, like, the way you deal with your men will be different and they will feel that difference and they will respect you more and they will follow you more and listen to you more because you've done it doesn't mean you should do it all the time because it's not your place to do it all the time but do it at some point like if it's one day you got you got to choose these moments as a leader carefully there's some days where your blokes are going to be on their ass be it physically mentally let's say that week you've unfortunately there's been an incident there's been an incident lads someone's got hurt you know someone's got hurt and the lads are the lads are feeling the strain right that one day you go to the front of the platoon, you go, yeah, give us the volume. And yeah. they go, fucking boss. Look at the boss. Or look at the platoon. You know what I mean? And it's not something you should do all the time. But sometimes, as a platoon commander, whatever, you're going to have to put yourself at risk. Yeah. You're going to have to. And, like, you know, it, that that's that's how it is. And it and it happens. That, you know, I'm not, this isn't like, hey, nobody's doing this. Go out and do it. Yeah. It happens. But if, if, you, if you're going to be in that position, make sure it does happen. It's, it's, about, it's mutual respect with the boys as well. You know, because if they respect you, you respect them. Were, you know, the day I was, I was, I was, the action I was awarded that military cross four, you know, as much as my effort as the blokes, the, the, the one guy that I was like, right guys, you, you and you are coming with me. You know what? The guy that I trusted the most, who was my point man, brilliant friend of mine, Joel Campbell, put his hand up and went, I'm, I'm fucked, mate. I'm, I am chinned. He went, you, need to, you know, you need to, and that, that there is moral courage. Yeah, it is. For him to turn time. around and say, you know, he he would have been with me, but he was because like, I'm the, because the fact is is that his his bravery is not in doubt because he's a fucking point man. And if you walk yeah. points even once, you got balls. Yeah. So it's uh, it does, and that that goes for a lot of things in life. You know, sometimes, dude, it's like you and me with a PTSD. You got to put your hand up at yeah. some point and say I have a problem. You yeah. know, mate. Thank you so much for fucking coming on today. This has been a pleasure. Cheers. I'm actually me. really looking forward to the other one. Let's get that. Let's get that. Um, 
let's get that on the go nice yeah. and soon. Yeah. Um, all right. So, guys, thank you for listening to Veteran State of Mind. Wherever you've tuned in, you find us across the uh, across the network. If you're listening on audio right now, we've also got video up on. Uh, we got video up on uh, YouTube, up on the Veteran State of Mind, veteranstateofmind.com. If you want to get in touch, you can find me. Uh, actually, let's do yours first. If you want to get in touch with Sean, Sean is? Uh, Instagram, SeanJ underscore 1987. Any others you want to? Uh, Twitter. I'm a big, avid fan of Twitter. Uh, Jones6876. Is that an army number? That's <laughs> my last four, mate. <laughs> that's more standard. Uh, yeah, that's, that's that's about it for now. I use them platforms the most. And I, guys, I'll also um, I'll I'll put his uh, the tags um, for Sean's account. I'll put in his social media for this um, and up on the website. So you can find uh, Veteran State of Mind. You can find this veteranstateofmind.com at Veteran State of Mind, Instagram, Facebook, all the the usual kind of places. And you can find me on at GRJ Books. One word: Golf Romeo Juliet Books. Instagram, Facebook, uh, all that kind of stuff. So thanks again for listening, guys. Any questions you got for the podcast, any of that kind of stuff you want, just hit us up, send them in, no dick pictures, and I'll catch you next time. Cheers.